Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 3rd, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Timonini. Hey, wait, we're not off today? No, no, James, you're a slave driver. You cracked the whip. I'm on vacation from Broadway World all week, yet I'm still here recording podcasts with you. Oh, you're the best. (laughs) I'm the best because I'm the only one that does this with you five days a week. So I literally am the best and the worst. (laughs) You're my favorite (laughs) co-host for today on Broadway. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. So, this is uh, interesting. Yeah, well, um, why is that? Well, you know, it's uh, it, it feels like it's still the weekend, but it's not. Sure. Uh, it's and not. then it's coming up again, but we have a handful of things to talk about today to get everybody up. Yeah, so before we get that, speaking of the weekend, uh, you had an episode of This Week on Broadway that came out yesterday. Uh, as you mentioned last week, you had Peter Felicia back, but Michael Portantier was out of town, so you had the great Jan Simpson filling in. Let everybody know if they haven't found that one in their feed yet, what you guys talked about. Uh, well, uh, Jan and, and, and Peter gave the reviews of 1984. Uh, we talked about Manhattan Theatre Club's production of Fulfillment Center, Roundabout Theatre Company's production of Napoli, Brooklyn, which actually isn't a place, I think. Uh, and then we talked about uh, Bella and American Tall Tale, which just closed at Playwrights Horizons, but uh, Peter is looking forward to the cast recording, and Manhattan Theatre Club's production of Cost of Living, and Seeing You, which is a new immersive uh, yeah. show that Randy we- uh, Weiner has put together so yeah that's a lot of good stuff yeah Yeah. absolutely well and then you mentioned today is the third of july Um, we are not going to have a new episode of today on broadway on the fourth of july instead we will have the first episode of our new podcast tell me more with our friend and uh, literally one of the best humans i've ever had conversations with alexandra silver talking about her new book after anna tevka so that will be in the feed tomorrow and then james tomorrow night um, Broadway stars will be performing all over the place on different Fourth of July celebrations. The one that I think is probably the most notable is a Capital Fourth. That'll be on your local PBS station. Uh, it'll be hosted by everybody's favorite Broadway vet, John Stamos. It'll also include a performance by Laura Osnes, as well as the Beach Boys, Kelly Pickler, the Four Tops, um, C-3PO and R2-D2. I don't know how that <laughs> works. That I mean... They're, uh, you know, they're droids, alien droids, and I think they're played by British people anyway. So but whatever. So uh, tune into that and, and check uh, check depending on where you, you live. If there's some Broadway people, especially if you're in the, in the Northeast, there's usually some Broadway folks in Boston and uh, and Philly and, and stuff like that. So so check and see if there's anybody cool playing. And if there is, tweet us and let us know at Broadway Radio on Twitter or at Broadway Radio on Facebook. I want to see C-3PO and R2-D2 do City of Angels, the revival. <laughs> Which one I mean, is Stein? Which one is Stone? I'm not sure. Um, I think I think C3PO is the writer, whichever that one is. Uh, Stein, Stone yeah. is the uh, detective. Is the detective? Yeah, I think R2 is definitely Stone. C3PO, who's a little bit of a warrior, a little yeah. bit of a uh, uh-huh. uh, of a little anxious kind of guy. I think he's definitely Stein. Hmm, that's interesting. All right. I mean, it can't. Be- it can't be worse than the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> All right. First up in the news, uh, Broadway uh, says goodbye to two, st- two shows and a star. Yeah, James, yesterday Broadway bid farewell to a whole host of big names. 
from Kevin Klein and the star-studded cast of Present Laughter to Laura Linney and Cynthia Nixon and all of their castmates in The Little Foxes to Josh Groban, who ended his extended stay as the bearded accordion playing Russian Pierre in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Present Laughter, which co-starred Kate Burton, Christine Nielsen, and Kobe Smulders, was directed by Moritz von Stupnagel and, lest you've forgotten, was filmed a week or so ago for later broadcast on Broadway HD. So... If you missed Klein's 20-winning performance in this one, have no fear. You'll be able to see it shortly. The show played a 16-week run at the St. James Theater, which, unless there is, you know, something that slides in um, for a short fall run or a holiday-type concert, uh, the St. James will remain closed until the spring as it gets ready to do renovations for the upcoming Broadway premiere of Disney's Frozen. Tangentially, James, the cast of Frozen finished its second week of rehearsals for their Denver tryout at the end of last week. So lots of good stuff happening there. Over at the Manhattan Theater Club, Samuel J. Friedman Theater, Lenny and Nixon ended their run alternating as Regina and Bertie and Lillian Helm as the Little Foxes, directed by Daniel Sullivan. The show also featured Michael McKeon, Richard Thomas, and more. Up next for The House with the Broadway premiere of the Hal Prince Review Prince of Broadway, which begins next month. Then finally, James, over at the Imperial, superstar Josh Groban finished up his run as Pierre in Great Comet. Originally, Ugarite Anadawan was scheduled to take over the role immediately, but apparently that's been pushed back a week for unspecified reasons. If I had to guess, it would be that maybe he hasn't been able to grow the beard. I don't know. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> but, uh, but instead, the show's creator, Dave Malloy, will jump into the role before Oak officially starts next week. James, actually, I, I joke about the beard, but I'm actually going to guess. I'm going to assume that Oak was so terrified by how his predecessor was embarrassed by the brilliant mind of Sean Hannity on Twitter last week that he needed extra time to compose himself before jumping into the proverbial fire. <laughs> That's true. Sean Hannity and uh, Josh Groban got into it on the Twitter. Uh, so if uh, you're interested in that, head over to the Twitter and find uh, Groban because he uh, he schooled a few people, which I thought was very nice. <laughs> yeah, I've, right. got a, I've got a link. I've got a link to an article about it in the show notes if you want to check it out. Oh, great! All right. Uh, next up, the New York Times and Charles Isherwood reach a settlement. Yeah, that's pretty much all we got, James. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't have any other news about all that. Right, next up. The <laughs> 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 no, but on Friday, the uh, the paper released a statement saying, quote, the New York Times, Charles Isherwood, and the News Guild, which is the union that represents Isherwood, have reached a settlement resolving their dispute concerning Mr. Isherwood's depart departure from the Times. The Times wishes Mr. Isherwood well in his future endeavors. That's nice, but says nothing. And for his part, Isherwood released a statement saying, quote, I am very happy to have resolved this matter, and I am very grateful to those in the theater industry, my fellow theater critics, and my former colleagues at the Times who have supported me through this process. I look forward to continuing to work within this community through the next phase of my career as a theater critic for Broadway.News and a contributor to an assortment of other publications. Again, nice, says nothing. James, I haven't heard any details about what the resolution involved, but man— I really want to know what they what they figured out. I, you know, such a tight closed circle. I don't think that we'll find out for a number of years until uh until uh President Alec Baldwin wrestles the uh New York Times icon to the ground in a cage wrestling match. I I think he's going to give it uh the sharpshooter. That would be mm. a Figure four leg lock. I was always a big fan of the step over cloverleaf myself, but 
Whatever. Dust, Dusty Rose jumping off the uh, top top rope. It's Amer- the American dream right there, Dusty Rose. <laughs> that was all. Yeah, you can add that. <laughs> we have lost the entire audience. All right. Uh, next up, Lisa Cron responds to a fun home costuming controversy. I thought this was really interesting. It, I did too. I this was super cool. But James, I, this I have to admit, this really flew below my radar until Crone released this yeah. statement this on Friday. And generally, if there's some sort of controversy brewing in the theater community, it's happening on the Broadway World message boards. So I kind of know about it by the fact that I work there, Uh, but I haven't heard anything. So let's let's lay this out. Apparently, there had been a growing concern amongst theater fans about a handful of costumes that Kate Schindel is wearing as the older version of Allison in the Fun Home National Tour. Apparently, the controversy has to do with whether or not there was a, there was a decision to, in Crone's words, de-butchify the character. In her statement, the Tony-winning librettist and playwright assures, uh, that, that assures the show's fans that that is definitely not the case. In part, her statement reads, quote, as a lesbian who has been creating unapologetically lesbian theater for over 30 years, believe me, I understand where these concerns come from. I loathe pinkwashing as much as the next old school lesbian feminist. I have loved butch women all my life. I married one, in fact. She goes on to emphasize that from the very beginning, the producers have never in any way tried to avoid or minimize the show's LGBT themes, especially those featuring butch women. Most importantly, when it came to the show's biggest platform, their iconic Tony Awards performance, Crone said, quote, Ring of Keys was our producer's first and only choice. She then goes on to explain how the costume change was, in fact, made. While the show was going through its technical rehearsal in Cleveland. She explains that originally, Schindel, who is, of course, also uh, the president of Actors' Equity, was wearing the same costumes that Beth Malone did on Broadway. But if you're not familiar with them, Malone and Schindel have very different body types. Crone said that they just didn't look right on Schindel and that she herself, Crone herself, in fact, was the one that asked costume designer David Zinn to come up with what was more appropriate for a butch lesbian of Schindel's body type. Crone explained, talking about Schindel, quote, she has a very different body than Beth Malone, however. She's a curvy Amazon, and on her frame, the effect of this same costume was completely different. Somehow, neither swaggery butch nor thanks to her character-appropriate sports bra, quite sporty femme either. Crone also said that Schindel never complained about the original costume, and she went on to convey a story about the character's signature haircut. Apparently, as is fairly standard among actors and actresses, James, as you know, Schindel asked if she would be able to wear a wig without having to cut her hair for the role, but the creative team said that they really needed her to cut her hair and for the haircut to be authentic, but that she could wait to get it cut until they started tech rehearsals. Instead, Schindel showed up on the very first day of all of the rehearsals with a freshly cut do. So, James, it seems obvious that Malone, who is short and petite, and Schindel, who is tall and curvy, would need different costumes. But I don't know that I would have thought about it without hearing Crone's explanation. Um, and I definitely understand the concern about debutchifying this role as the show travels to perhaps less accepting cities outside of New York. So I think to have somebody obviously incredibly invested in this show being communicated properly like Crone kind of clearing this up, I think it was very helpful and very insightful. Um, and I was really fascinated by this whole thing. Yeah, it was uh, tremendously interesting to – and again, just like you, it flew under the radar. Usually 
when something controversial comes up, I get all sorts of emails and messages through Twitter and Facebook and various other channels uh, asking us to do something about it, you know, report on it, mention it, things like that. And this one totally flew under the radar until I saw the story about it. Um, and I thought to myself, I was like, uh, if you're going to accuse somebody of, you know, <laughs> nefarious things, changing the costume here to soften up the script, certainly you don't go after fun home, you know? (laughs) And I don't know that anyone was accusing them of anything, but I think that it is a valid concern when you think that, you know, she's covered up a little bit more in what people have were describing apparently as a blouse or a camisole, as opposed to what Crone said it actually is, was a man's work shirt. So I, I can understand the concern, but surely Crone and, and and everybody at Fun Home has earned their bona fides when it comes to portraying LGBTQ culture appropriately. Yeah, uh, and um, I, I'm, I'm so happy they did such a transparent thing as releasing this statement out to the public and explaining it all because it, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant and it just mm-hmm. answers all the issues here and all of a sudden the thing went away the this issue has gone away yep. so exciting about it yep. uh next up we have an interesting uh uh op-ed from Nicholas Heitner uh over in the Guardian um who is Nick Heitner is a is the uh uh see the director of the National Theater uh, or I I'm yeah, unsure of his total here. His th- th- but we know him on Broadway as a, a director of shows like uh, Lincoln Center's Carousel and Miss Saigon and uh, a handful of other widely respected productions here. Uh, and he talked about uh, Brexit and how it affects um, how it affects the artists. So tell yeah. us about that. Absolutely. Uh, Nick Heitner, he first made his Broadway directorial debut uh, with Miss Saigon, who was the director of the original Miss Saigon. He then went on to win a Tony for the revival of Carousel. He directed Sweet Smell of Success, uh, then won another Tony for directing The History Boys, and then produced such national theater shows as War Horse, One Man, Two Governors, as well as Fela and some other things as well. Um, this article, which came um, from The Guardian, really takes a really interesting dive into how Brexit – and everyone knows what you know, that is the, the UK's withdrawal from the European Union – how it impacts artists and how it impacts artistic institutions and how the, the ability to move between countries freely um, is being hindered in the fact that um, – that communication and that ability to learn in other places and to bring skills and experiences back to the UK that they learned in other countries is really going to hamper the artistic process. In the article, Heitner compares the whole thing to a classic uh, comedy. He says, quote, the grotesque betrayal of the generation that most detests Brexit is like some lost restoration comedy. The restoration playwrights, their eyes wide open to the world's lust and avarice, show young people with names such as Heartfree, Constant, and Worthy doing battle for the future with their self-regarding seniors. Imagine a creaky burlesque called Lady Wood and Stratagem. Like so many old comedies, it's not funny. Lady Wooden thinks herself extremely clever, but turns out to be 
be dense and is held hostage by characters whose names announce their hypocrisy and malevolence. Backstab, brute, bullying done, gove. They scheme to cheat the young of their inheritance. The play ends badly, but there's no reason why it can't be rewritten. Obviously, Heitner is is putting a lot of the blame at the feet of the older generation who are not seeing the benefits that an open and free Europe has not only on the arts, but on the the community and the environment of everything going on in the UK in general. Um, he says that a lot of these people want to return to 19th century England, which was really the only time that this nostalgic um, feeling uh, really is appropriate for. So it's a really cool article. I don't know a ton about Brexit, to be honest with you. We have enough political things to worry about here, but it was really interesting to hear it from a, uh, from a respected artist's perspective as well. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Brexit was a foreshadow to what has happened here. And I'm hoping that, uh, what Nick Heitner is laying out in this article is not a foreshadow of what is going to happen in the artistic in the artistic community here as well. So it, it's good to keep our eyes on these things. Next up, let's end with a lot of fun because uh, mm-hmm. Lin Manuel Miranda announces Hamilton Instrumentals with a pound hand for ham. You and the pound sign. Yes. yes uh, on Friday, James <laughs> Lindman, Will Miranda made every karaoke singer and Broadway super fan with a YouTube account completely ecstatic as he released a new Ham for Ham video to announce that Hamilton instrumental tracks or Hamstrumentals, his word, not mine, <laughs> were now available to purchase. Lynn's Ham for Ham video included some freestyle rapping with the Roots' Questlove, Black Thought, and Stro Elliott, along with Jonathan Groff, who just stood in the doorway holding a bike helmet. Uh, in the video, Lynn Man made a few references to Mob Deep member Prodigy, who passed away last month. For the hip-hop aficionados in the Broadway community, you will know that Mob Deep was pretty much verbatim quoted in the song My Shot from Hamilton. Uh, in one of their songs, Mob Deep said, I am only 19, but my mind is old. Obviously, Lynn put an ER at the end of that and uh, pretty much used it uh, to describe Alexander Hamilton in the moment in that, sh- in that song. So um, a lot of love for Prodigy and Mob Deep in this Ham for Ham video. So um, very cool, James. I, 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 I can only imagine what kind of craziness um, that that some of the Hamill trash will use these instrumental tracks for. But I have a feeling with all of the uh, Ham for All videos that that will actually go a long way with making some of those pretty cool. As Lynn said in the Ham for Ham video, they're yours. They're out there. Use them for whatever you want. I have a feeling that that's not going to be difficult for some Hamilton fans to find creative ways to use these things. Well, I wonder what Gillian Pensavale is doing today. Uh, I I would imagine that there will be an episode of the Hamilcast about this. She did actually do an interview at the Richard Rogers. She was interviewing a dresser, I believe, from Hamilton. And so she got to actually do an interview backstage at the Richard Rogers over the weekend. And she was, needless to say, ecstatic about it. <laughs> All right. We'll have to let everybody know when that comes out. All right. So why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt, And subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayVideo.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting your Monday off with us. Have a wonderful and safe fourth. And uh, take a listen to 
Matt's discussion with Al Silber on the 4th. And uh, Matt and I will be back on Wednesday to catch you up on the latest news. And we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.